Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The word righteousness means right standing with God. It is the removal of your sin. And anyone here, no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, no matter how bad you have been, there's not a person here who can't say to God today, Lord, will you forgive me? It's the reason Jesus went to the cross. It's the reason for the brutality and the bloodshed on the cross so that at a moment we could have our sins forgiven. The Bible says when we try to be righteous on our own efforts, it's like filthy rags to God. Because the only way we can truly be righteous is to take our sin to the cross and allow the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. That's all it takes. Simply calling out upon the name of the Lord and accepting His grace and forgiveness. With 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 through 21, here's more from Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for the time that we can gather together here today. We thank you for the hearts of men and women that you have brought into this place with a kindred heart and you are knitting us together. We pray that the love that we have for you would be demonstrated in the love that we have for one another. We pray that the love that we have for one another would grow. But Lord, we also pray that we would walk with you and surrender to you completely. Give us direction from your word today, we pray, that we might know from you how you want us to live. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of our message today is The Right Pursuit. I have a subtitle, and the subtitle is Making Godliness a Priority. Now, we all have priorities. It has been said, you can tell me what your priority is, but if I really want to know it, I've got to spend time with you. In other words, your priorities will eventually be revealed. And there are good priorities and there are bad ones. I have a couple of stories to start off with that illustrate that. One of them is true, and one of them the truth is suspect, but both of them are funny and both of them make the point, so I wanted to start with them. First of all, the first is a classified ad that was run in the Cory County Sun, wherever that was. I actually looked it up online. They still have their classified ads there online. This was put in the paper in 1978 by a farmer who said this, farmer with 160 irrigated acres. I guess he put 160 irrigated acres because that's better than unirrigated. Farmer with 160 irrigated acres wants marriage-minded woman with a tractor. <laughs> I guess if you got those irrigated acres, you want a tractor? Then he says, when replying, please send picture of the tractor. <laughs> now, to me, that would not be my priority. My priority would not be what the tractor looks like. I would want to know what the marriage-minded woman looked like, right? Now, this second one, as I said, the truth of this is suspect, but uh, if you are a hunter and you've ever shot anything late at night and you've had to contemplate leaving your animal out in the field until morning, you'll relate to this. A, a group of friends went deer hunting and paired off in twos for the day. That night, one of the hunters returned alone, staggering under the weight of a couple hundred pound deer. The other hunters asked, where's Bob? The lone man said, oh, he had a stroke of some kind and he's a couple miles back down the trail. The other hunters were shocked and asked him why he left Bob lying there and carried the deer instead. 
It was a tough call, the hunter said, but I figured no one was going to steal Bob. <laughs> As I said, if you've ever had to tuck a deer away at night, you understand that. But that's messed up priorities. As a Christian, our priorities is to be living wholeheartedly for God. And in the middle of a text where Paul is writing to Timothy, and remember he's writing to him about the conduct of the church, and he's telling him that he wants the people of the church not to live for making money. If you were with us last week in the first part of chapter 6, then you'll remember that study. He had that some have been shipwrecked in their faith because of the love of money. And those who do have a love for money drowned themselves in perdition. The word perdition means wasted. So you drowned yourself in waste. In other words, he's saying, if your life is spent living for money, then it's a wasted life. It's a waste of your resources. It's a waste of your breath. It's a waste of who you are. God has given us our lives and God has given us a call and our lives are not to be lived for money. Now, he's not done with the topic yet when he ends that in verse 10 and turns to real true priorities. He picks it back up again in verse 17. Jump ahead with me in returns to the topic of money when he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. He now turns to those who are rich and all of us say, well, we don't have to listen to this part. But just in case there is someone here who is rich, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in the uncertainty of riches. And riches really are uncertain. We think we've got security wherever our wealth might be. But uh, Jesus said, don't stack up for yourself treasure here on earth where moth come in and, and rust destroy. Well, we don't worry about moth and rust destroying our wealth, do we, for the most part. But inflation... And the economy can ruin our wealth. It's true that our, our money is no more secure today than it was in the days of Jesus. So he says, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God. How much better to trust in God than in money? Who gives us richly all things to enjoy? Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternity. That you would not get so caught up in your money that you would not be helping those that are around you. So the, the whole context of this text is finances. But after he's gotten done telling them that to live your life for money is, is a waste, you, people have been drowned in destruction and perdition from it, he now gives us direction on what we should pursue. That's in verse 11. It says in verse 11, but you, O man of God, and I like that emphasis, are you a man of God? He's saying to Timothy, are you a man of God? Are you a woman of God? Before we are anything else, before you are whatever you are in your profession, before you're a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, you are a man or a woman of God or you are not. But you, oh, man of God, flee these things. Not only don't live for money, but actually flee it. As Christians, there is absolutely no excuse that we would live for money. It does indeed waste our lives. He says, flee these things and pursue. Now he gives us six things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, righteousness and godliness. We are to pursue righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He promised that if you have a desire to be righteous, that you could have that satisfied. There's nobody here today that couldn't find forgiveness. 
The word righteousness means right standing with God. It is the removal of your sin. And anyone here, no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, no matter how bad you have been, there's not a person here who can't say to God today, Lord, will you forgive me? It's the reason Jesus went to the cross. It's the reason for the brutality and the bloodshed on the cross so that at a moment we could have our sins forgiven. The beautiful thing about righteousness, it says here to pursue it, but we don't have to pursue it for weeks or months before we can obtain it. We simply call out upon the name of the Lord and we are forgiven. I love the first couple chapters of Isaiah. Part of it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, I'll make them like wool. Now, righteousness, the removal of sin in my life in a right standing before God is passive, meaning you can be a real creep and you could have lived creepy up until the time you came in this room. Then you call upon God and he removes your sin. Godliness is different though. Pursue righteousness and godliness. Godliness is living the right way after you have found righteousness. Godliness is living like God. That's why it's called godliness. And so if God is gracious, more gracious than any man, if God is full of love, if God is light, if God has mercy that's new every morning, then I need to be a gracious man if I'm going to be godly. I need to be full of mercy if I'm going to be godly. I need to walk in love if God is love. And so seeing God and who he is helps me to live my life in the way that I'm supposed to. Some of us are men and women of God, but we're not living godly lifestyles. So we pursue righteousness and godliness. And then faith and love. Faith is when you believe what God has said enough to actually live it. Faith is when you come to church and you hear, for example, that you're not supposed to live for riches. And you leave and you go, eh, you know what? I'm going to live for riches anyway. I don't think I need to obey that. That's a lack of faith. Faith is when you hear that you're not supposed to live for riches and you go, you know what? It is a waste to spend my life living for money. I'm going to live for God. And you change. That's faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's one of the reasons that at every one of our services, we go over a text. We always cover the word of God because faith can be produced in your life. If you hear it and you're obedient, it takes those two things to have faith. You can't just hear it. You've got to hear it then you've got to be obedient to it. But as we hear it, we pursue faith and may your faith grow exceedingly and love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. In Old Testament times, when they went to the temple, they had to go through rituals. They had to give animals the sacrifices. They had to go and stand in line at ritual baths and wash their hands, sometimes their entire body, certain ways. Aren't you glad that you didn't have to come to church and stand in a line in order to take a bath before you came in? Maybe some around you wish you would have, but <laughs> I'm sure you're glad that you didn't have to do that or that you didn't have to stand in line to wash your hands a certain way because God demands rituals from us. He doesn't. A new commandment I give unto you, Jesus said, that you love one another. Jesus even said that they, the world, will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. We could talk about Jesus. We could talk about the cross. We can talk about his call. We can talk about forgiveness. But the way the world's going to know that we are who we're supposed to be, his disciples, is the love that we have for each other. Now, now I realize you attend a church with five services. It's easy to get lost. And some people choose to come to Calvary for that reason. You come in late, you leave early, and you don't want to see anybody. Also, when you get older, you just kind of get less social. Isn't that just true? I'm experiencing that myself, by the way. 
I used to go to the gym and talk to people. Now I put in earphones, walk around like I can't hear anybody or see anybody. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's not you, though. Maybe you've come to church and you've tried to get connected and you're having trouble. And that happens sometimes. You really want to get connected to the body. And may we who are here and part of this work that God's doing, may we open up and receive you in. May the Lord really speak to our hearts. But we need to pursue love. You pursue faith and love. And two more things, patience and gentleness. Patience, just knowing that, you know what? God's moving in my life and I'm going to serve him the rest of my life. So why do I need to hurry? I just need to serve him. God's going to do what God's going to do. Are any of you guys serving God for only for five years or 10 years? It's not like retirement. You don't work for 20 and then get out and retire. We're in the service of God forever for the rest of our lives. So be patient. It's like working out. You say, well, you know what? I'm going to go to the gym for the rest of my life. So you go to the gym and if you're a guy, I don't know what you girls do, but if you're a guy, you need to work out as hard as you can that first time back. So you put on all that weight, you know, what you used to bench and oh yeah, I can still bench it. And you do it. And then like a day later, you can't even walk, right? You're like, I know why I hate the gym. I remember now why I hate it. But if you're going to go to the gym for the rest of your life, then why do you have to work out with so much weight? Why not just ease into it? Why not do it really light and add a little bit every week? If you did that for four or five weeks, you'd build into it and you say, well, I'm going to go for the rest of my life. Because the truth is, you probably know you're not going to go for the rest of your life. But in our walk with Christ, we want to follow him forever. We will go beyond this life and into eternity. So just be patient, serve him, follow him, love him, allow him to strengthen you. Real change is lasting change is patient change. The, I read an article a couple weeks ago that said that 40% of Americans will lose or gain 10 pounds this year and the same Americans will gain and lose 10 pounds the next year. So within a two-year period, 40% of Americans will gain and lose 10 pounds. If you want to lose weight, the real way to lose weight, you can go on gimmicks and you can lose weight, but the faster you lose it, the statistics say, the faster you gain it back. If you want to lose weight, really, you learn to diet and exercise. You change what your intake is and you exercise and you lose weight slowly. You got to be patient, but we're not that patient, right? We don't want to lose an ounce a day. We want to lose a pound a day. And so if you lose an ounce a day and give it a year, right? How much have you lost? I'm not going to do the math, by the way, but you get my point. So patience in Christ and gentleness, just being gentle. So those six things are things to pursue, okay? Okay. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And then he tells him three things to do. Instead of living for money, pursue these things and now do these things. In verse 12, number one, fight the good fight of faith. If you're not going to spend your time living for money, what do you spend your time doing? Fighting the good fight of faith. And it's a military term. We shouldn't be surprised that he uses a military term here. Paul often in his writings uses military terms. In the Greek, sometimes they're lost when we bring them over to English, but they really are military, that we are a part of the army of God and that we need to fight that good fight until the end. Paul said of his own life, I don't box as if I'm fighting or boxing the air. We need to be effective at what we do. Fight the good fight. Then he says, lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called. That here, Timothy is a, a pastor of the church of Ephesus and he's telling him to lay hold of eternal life. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians where Paul said, examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. Hey, listen, 
lay hold of eternal life. Now, you've been called to it. That's what he says here. You've been called to it. It's God's idea. None of you could save yourself anyway. Jesus knocks and we open. We're the ones who are receiving eternal life, but he's the one that initiated it. See, we don't see it that way. We come to church, we respond and we raise our hand and we think I invited God in, but Jesus said, no, nope, I called you. I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you, Jesus said to his disciples. It's God that initiates that salvation, but you still have to lay hold of it. You have to believe. If you don't, you won't receive it. So lay hold of that to which you were called and then, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, the way this is worded, in the Greek, it flows a little smoother, but the way that it's worded here is a little difficult. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of witnesses. We are to live our lives in such a way that our lives become a confession of our faith, the good confession, that people see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Then he gives us the example of Jesus who confessed in front of Pilate. Look at verse 13. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession, there's the term again, before Pontius Pilate. Just as you have been called to give the good confession to those around you, Jesus gave the good confession before Pilate. Now, what did Jesus confess before him? I find three things. Number one, in Matthew 27, 11, Jesus admitted the truth about himself, agreeing with Pilate's statement that Jesus was the king of the Jews. You remember that Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. Part of the good confession is letting people know who Jesus is. Jesus that we preach is the Messiah. He is the one promised long ago in ancient writings that he would come and rescue us from our sins. And he fulfilled those just as the Bible said that he would. He is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. That's part of the good confession. Number two, in John 19, 11, Jesus testified to Pilate about the sovereignty of God, saying you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you by my father above. You remember that he said to Pilate, you're not in control here. I am. He said, you wouldn't have any authority unless my dad had given it to you. Now, when you look at the circumstances, Pilate's about to hand him over to be beaten and crucified. And Jesus is telling him, I'm in control. But in reality, he was. Pilate had free will. He could make some decisions. He could make some choices. But Pilate was about to run into the sovereignty of God. And God gives men free will. He allows you to make decisions, but make no mistake about it. One day you will run into the sovereignty of God. One day you will stand before him because it's God who is in control and it's God that has given you everything. Tell me, what do you have that was not given to you by God? By the way, that's a scripture before you want to argue with it. It says everything we have has been given to us. So why boast? Why be prideful? You say, well, I'm a good looking guy. Well, how did you choose that? You could have been born ugly. You didn't choose it. You know, I guess rejoice in it, but you didn't choose it. You say, well, I made a lot of money in my lifetime and I worked hard for it. Nobody gave that to me. Yeah, God gave you the ability to make money. Trust me, there's some people that don't have that ability. And God gave you that ability. God has given you the breath in your lungs, the energy to do it. There's nothing that you have that hasn't been given to you by God. And therefore, you will answer to God one day 
Remember Pilate's wife? She said, I have had a dream concerning this man this morning and don't do it. Don't judge against him. Pilate did and Pilate had to answer before him. Part of our good confession is telling people who Jesus is and part of our good confession is letting people know that God is sovereign and everyone will answer to him one day. He may give you room to move now. You may be moving in a bubble of free will, but you can't escape God's sovereignty. The third thing that Jesus did in front of Pilate in Matthew 27, 14, is he remained silent. It's interesting. Jesus was silent about specific accusations, refusing to defend himself, but leaving his life in the will of God the Father. A lot of people attack us as Christians. Some of you guys are getting ready to start college. If you're starting the U of A, you should know that the 101 classes have an agenda to destroy your faith. You'll be in classes that have nothing to do with with philosophy or theology, that they're math classes and your teacher will start attacking Christians. You'll want to defend yourself. Understand that God will defend you. Understand that you can't really defend yourself anyway. You are living for God and you will live for Him no matter what. And it is that which people will see. He didn't defend himself. This is the good confession that we live in front of people. So the three things he was to do, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, and live the good confession in front of witnesses. And then he says in verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until Jesus Christ's appearing. In other words, we're not in this thing for the short haul. We're in it until Jesus comes back. Now, some of us in this room are gonna go and be with the Lord. You're in it until you go to be with him. But everyone is in it and there will be people living the good confession until Jesus appears. One day, the angel said when Jesus ascended up into heaven and the guys just stood there and stared at up where he had went, which is probably what we would do as well. If we're talking to Jesus and he ascends up into heaven, he goes up in the clouds, we're all just standing there looking up. Who would be the first one to look away, right? You're looking. Finally, an angel appeared and said, men of Israel, why are you standing here staring up looking into heaven? The same Jesus who left this way will return again the same way. He will return in the clouds. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, he's coming back for us. And those who are alive and remain will meet him in the air and we will forever be with the Lord. And we live these things now and we live that good confession until the time that he appears. You say, well, when is that? Well, no one knows. That's said in the next verse. In verse 15, which he will manifest in his own time. That's another verse that tells us no one knows when Jesus is coming back. Somebody needs to tell Harold Camping this verse. Maybe he needs to discover this verse and, or anybody else who would set dates for the return of Jesus. It's manifest in his own time, all right? He who is blessed in the only potentate. Now, what, what Paul does here is as he thinks about this good confession and that we're going to be living it until he appears, he now breaks into praise for Jesus. He now thinks about why we have this good confession. What is the reason you have it? Do you have the good confession because you want to live for God from what you can get out of it? Hey, listen, the best life to live if you're in it for yourself is not a Christian walk. If you're in it for yourself, then choose some other way. We lay down our lives and we give it to Him. And one day, we will look upon His face. One day, we will see Him in all of His glory. We will see the only potentate, the only royalty, what a day that will be. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.